Business creation has always been a challenging journey, but for female founders, some hardships can be even greater. And when it comes to solutions that rely on AI and data, the hurdles can be even more visible, especially considering the gender disparity in these areas. Today, we'll explore the barriers and challenges regarding the use and applications of data that all founders face when starting a business, and understand which of those challenges are unique for female founders. I'm happy to talk now with Vanessa Westphal, co-founder of the tech startup named Juzi, based in the city of Bochum, here in Germany. Vanessa studied electrical engineering, holds an MLA in organizational behavior from Harvard University, and after almost 10 years in the corporate environment, she has already co-founded two companies, combining knowledge from the corporate and the startup world. So let's take the opportunity to learn a bit more from her experiences and knowledge. Stay tuned. Hi, Vanessa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to have you here. And to start, I would like to hear from you, first of all, um, uh, more about your business idea and how, how, what actually inspired you to become a founder and start your own business. And um, if you, I would like to hear from you also a bit uh, about the challenges, maybe the unique challenges you had as a female founder. Uh, first of all, hi, thanks a lot for having me. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to have a short chat with you about how it is to found a business and especially being a female founder. Um, maybe, yeah, let me start with how we came up with the idea. We have a quite fun story how that actually played out uh, in the end. Um, we are three co-founders and uh, basically we're working on the same topic or very similar topics apart from each other without knowing each other. So uh, it all started with a huge coincidence that we met online on a co-founder matching platform that was made for um, well, finding co-founders, but by an American incubator, a very famous one. It's called Y Combinator. And you would not necessarily expect to meet uh, German co-founders there. And we actually met in the year when it launched. So it was the platform itself was quite new. It was like 8,000 people on that platform. And uh, yeah, it was, it was quite fun to meet people in general. Um, I, for myself, you can highlight in the profile if you have an idea or if you don't have an idea. And I said, I don't have an idea, even though I did have one and I did work on one. But I was just super curious to meet other people. And then it was such a coincidence that uh, my co-founder Julius, who had previously matched um, my other co-founder Hauke on the same platform, um, reached out and he found on, I think, on my LinkedIn that I was working on a similar idea. It was called Freddy Eats at that point in time. And uh, yeah, and he said... Uh, sounds like you're interested in the same things and you're working on something very similar. Let's have a chat. And that was the last chat out of 20 that I had scheduled. And um, typically, for at least for me, I knew in the very first minutes or two if it's a match or not. And uh, I was a bit, yeah, I would say frustrated from my co-founder search because there was no idea that would fit, I guess, because my idea was kind of still stuck in my head and I wouldn't want to let it go. And the other thing was just from a personality and skill set fit. And uh, yeah, and when we started talking 
I immediately knew it. We went through the skills, what matters to us. We went, we went through the mock-up that Julius uh, and, and Hauke had created. And I was like, this is it. it was, I was super sure that it's a, it's a fit. And we started working together immediately and we met. Um, so after meeting online, we also met in person. And yeah, that's how it's all started. And yeah, <laughs> challenges. You asked about challenges. Um, I think that's a whole other deep dive for itself. As a founder, you always encounter challenges. And that would also be my, let's say, advice. Or um, when you start and you, when you think about founding a company, um, be aware that there are going to be challenges. Um, but in, learn to enjoy them and uh, learn or think about it as a, yeah, as a learning journey and as a self-development journey alongside developing your company and then all of a sudden it becomes real fun yeah i can imagine it's, uh, very nice to hear all this story um but since our um, podcast is a bit more related to data and also um ai uh, i would like to know about uh, a bit um, more about um when it comes to data in a broader sense um What can also, like regarding challenges, what can be the, the main challenges for a founder who just decided to start their own businesses? Like, for example, compliance with regulations uh, or guidelines, collection of personal data, in your case, probably also health-related data for, for the app, data analysis, or, yeah, what would what you say that are data-related challenges? I would say data-related challenges are definitely that learning about what you should care about takes a lot of time. So actually, yeah, becoming smart when it comes to legal things, when it comes to what are you allowed to do, what, where do you need a contract, where do you need, you know, GDPR and so on, that takes a lot more time than you would think when you when you found your company you just want to start and you don't want to care about all these things but they're important so um definitely a, a challenge to take the time for that and to acknowledge that it's just a part of the business and you need to care about it as much as you maybe care for the product or your customers so um yeah it's a challenge but uh, i think it's manageable and i would say um get good advice from people who've done it before or also from like legal legal standpoint um, to make sure that you, if you don't know something, you at least know people who know about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, What, um, regarding um, the app and also your idea, uh, how do you usually collect and manage accurate and reliable data? In this case, like personal information or nutritional information for, for the app or for um, the, the company itself? Mm -hmm. um, so in order for our, maybe let me shortly explain what we do. Uh, we developed an AI that learns personal taste and helps nudge you towards better eating habits. So that's kind of the backbone of it all. And then on the front end side, it's an app that just is a help in your daily life that helps you yeah, eat healthy, just grocery shopping for you or helps you if you want to do it by yourself. It's a, it's, it's a help in your daily life. And in order for that 
to work, <laughs> we need a certain degree of personalization. And uh, for that, we have um, onboarding as part of our ex app experience, um, where we ask certain information regarding um, some things that we count into the health score that uh, contributes for us to be able to calculate, okay, how much calories should you intake per day and so on and so forth. And But also other things like, for example, what allergies do you have? What ingredients do you maybe not like? And things like that. And uh, they're completely optional. And what we learned is that people, even though they understand the point of the app, they're sometimes hesitant to share it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's pretty pretty natural um, because we've been so become so sensitive with our data. And I mean, it definitely I do understand it. But from a tech standpoint, we anonymize everything, and we don't yeah we don't use it in that kind of sense. We use it in order to make the best proposals for you. And in the end, if you want a high degree of personalization you somehow need to feed the system with uh, with personal data. Otherwise, the personalization will be shit. Uh, and then it doesn't help you. And then, then you just have to ask yourself as a consumer, do I want that help or do I not want it? That's, uh, that's also, uh, I think, most of, of the founders of the or um, the companies that work with data, that's usually quite a challenge as well. And I've been, been um, able to get access to it in order to improve the service as well. Um, yeah. But um, how do you see your business uh, making a positive impact um, on, um, yeah, like making a positive impact in other people's lives? Maybe shortly to uh, coming just shortly back to that point with the regards to the data, I find it quite Uh, quite interesting from behavior perspective that now with chat GPT, a lot of people don't even think about what they feed into that system. Sure. But when you ask very specific questions, people are like, ha are hesitant and think about, hmm, do I want to give that data? But when you have like an open entry field, like um, chat GPT does, people write them stupidest things and the most, you know, um, information they would not share at all otherwise into that system. And I think that's where it needs a bit more differentiation in your mind. Okay, am I feeding the system something very specific to make it work for me in a very specific way, like our app does? Or am I feeding a system a bunch of information, like a picture of myself, without even knowing what the system will do with it? That's definitely and good that's just yeah that's just something I wanted to add because sometimes I think it gets lost in the discussion about uh, data data privacy and protection sure um yeah and regarding the impact yeah our impact um, that we contribute is really um I sometimes say um eating good or eating eating well you know, eating healthy for lazy people so let's be honest we're all lazy people we all have or busy people at least which sometimes makes us lazy in our daily lives at least for me that's true when i'm so hung up in work and i do love my work very much uh, then i just sometimes do not have the time to do the most basic things And I think nutrition, in at least also from from what what I observe and also what studies show, is something that in Germany is not that um, important. I would say a lot of people. I think for me the 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 symbolic picture that I have in mind when I think about nutrition, especially in the past few years, is people eating their lunch next to their laptops. 
And I think this shows what kind of eating behavior we have in general. And this is where our impact lies. Because actually the food that we eat is a huge lever both to our personal health and to climate health. Um, so our food system is currently crashing planetary boundaries on so many dimensions. When we talk um, CO2, our food system makes up one third of CO2 emissions. When we talk about food waste and also choices in terms of plant-based versus non-plant-based, one third of our agricultural land goes directly to waste. That's insane. And it's just because we have bad eating behaviors. And um, also, I mean, don't even get me started on biodiversity. I think to sum it up, our food system is destroying the planet we live on. And on the other hand, the food that we eat is also destroying ourselves. 20% of all deaths are food-related, only food-related. We have so many chronic diseases by now that are, wouldn't need to be there, that are absolutely curable, and they're just a consequence of a, a bad eating behavior. And bad eating behavior can ripple down up to four generations after you had bad eating behavior because your microbiome and your 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 uh, in your in your stomach shrinks and it decreases its capability in capabilities and what it can do for you and for your health in the end and that's where our impact lies and um to make it very clear or precise is um i mean there are diets you can do dieting and you can do like planetary health diet and so on um or if you want to lose weight or eat less sugar but the thing is it's super difficult to stick to them 79% of people say they want to eat better but only 10% of people actually do and that's because it's just difficult in our daily lives it's not because we absolutely dislike healthy foods that's not the case Of course, over time, we developed certain behaviors. And for example, when it comes to sugar, uh, we're actually, as human species, stupid to taste sugar. The more sugar we eat, the more we need in order to taste it even. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where we break in and when we bring in convenience and fun to actually make the transition smooth and over time and be realistic about it and say, okay... Uh, you don't need to eat healthy every single day and you don't, if you like meat, I mean, continue to eat meat, but maybe do it a bit less. And I think it needs that kind of human approach to change our eating habits. And that's what we do with Choosy. Sure, that's so interesting. I mean, we could talk about this like the whole day pretty much because, I mean, it's a very interesting discussion. It's also a very interesting idea. Uh, but now as a female founder, Uh, what advice would you do or would you give um, to um, other female founders who are also or to other women, actually, who are considering starting their own business, but somehow maybe um, hesitant to take the leap? Short and quick, be bold. If And ask yourself, what if you don't do it? What What can happen? Really, what is there to lose? And if you think... 40 years or however many years in the future, would you regret not doing it? And if your answer is yet, I would say go for it. And when you go for it and when you found your company, there are going to be struggles and struggles you're only going to have because you're a woman. Um, even though the startup scene is getting more diverse, it's still, we're not there yet, unfortunately. It's way more difficult to fundraise as a female. It's 
many, many conversations are way more difficult. So just be bold and be okay with people not liking it. And for that would be my advice. Perfect. <laughs> um, and for the ones who already started, um, what um, what are the opportunities you see, and how can we, as a society or as a system, how how can we continue to support and empower them? The opportunities that I see are that right now, in general, the topic female founders gets more attention and visibility and for any female founder even though it sounds maybe selfish or it doesn't feel right to push yourself that much out there but it is important both for your company and for societal development and giving female founders more more of a stage and regarding what yeah what what we can do about it is really make sure that all startup panels are 50 50 i actually was recently asked to join a panel And I was the only female and I mean, I had to decline, but I, I said, okay, I want you to replace that place with the female founder. And I proposed some people and uh, actually yesterday I was at, uh, at OMR and there was a um, Q&A with Verena Pauster and she got asked from, uh, yeah, basically a, a, an incubator if she wants to be on their ju um, jury for the next round. And she said, Sorry, but uh, out of time reasons, uh, I have to decline and so on and so forth. And she said something very important. And I think the only right answer she could she could have given given. There are so many females in this in this room right now. I'm sure you can find a different one, and I'm sure you do not need me. So my second point is not always give stage to the same people, to the same females, to those who are already huge, well-known, like Verena Pausa or Lea-Sophie Kramer, um, gave stage to those who are a bit earlier in their in their company development. I, I know so many, so many females, and they have they have an amazing story too. So that would be my advice for, or my hope at least, that we as a society can manage to do that, to give more females a stage and make sure that panels are 50-50. Speaking slots are distributed equally because in the end, we also want to have role models, for example, for children, right? Yeah. And how sad is that not to have enough female role models? Perfect. Well, just to close our conversation, unfortunately, we have to come to an end. Uh, but um, we can actually continue this discussion since you're also taking part at the Who Summit. Um, and also as part of the idea of the Herhood from the Konda Alliance. Um, and um, both the teams from uh, the Konda Alliance and the Hands-On Data, they will be there as well. So I'd like to hear from you, maybe an invitation to continue this conversation there. Absolutely. Sounds good. I'm really looking forward to being there. And uh, yeah, I, I love what's being built generally in the Ruhr system, every, uh, Ruhr, in, the, uh, in the Ruhr summit, but also in the Ruhr, Ruhr region. Oh, difficult to say. In the Ruhr region, I feel like there's more and more happening here. And I think it's worth to come there to have a look. And also as a founder, it is really worth to become part of that community. Perfect. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for all the insightful discussion and everything you said so far. And I hope to see you soon once again at the Hua Summit. Thank you. Thank you. Just as Vanessa did, we also want to invite you to join our team from the Hands-On Data and the Honda Alliance Hua, who promoted the Herhood Initiative. 
The Herhood is a platform for female founders and women in positions of leadership to talk about their challenges and solutions, to network, and to enhance the visibility of female role models. A forum inside the HUA Summit, one of the largest startup events in Germany. If you are a female founder or simply want to be part of this discussion, make sure to be there on June 13th in the Jahrhunderthalle Bochum and take part in the HUA Summit. Visit now herhood.hua or find out more about the HUA Summit at thehuasummit.de. The podcast is idealized by the Hands-On Data Initiative, or simply HOT, as we usually prefer. Our main goal is to unite startups, established companies, enthusiasts, and experts to show and leverage the data potential of Germany's largest industrial region, the HUA area. Thank you so much for joining us.